0: I'm Pastor Dan, and this morning my sermon is simply called, A Predicament. My text is from the book of Exodus, chapter 14, for now pray with me as I seek the spirit of Psalm 1914, as I generally do, and so this morning, dear Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight my Lord, my rock, my strength, and my Redeemer. Amen? Amen. Have you ever faced a situation where you felt like you were just boxed in and there was no way out? You know, you're coming to the end of the month, but you've already come to the end of your money. The rent is due and so is the electric bill. And it appears as if there is no way out. Or perhaps you've applied for four different jobs and you have been rejected by every single one of them and it appears that there is simply no, no way in. Or maybe you feel like you are hopelessly hooked on drugs or pornography or alcohol or bitterness and you think there's no way through. You are in what we call a predicament. It's amazing all the ways that we have to describe these situations. Up the creek without a pedal, in a jam. Sometimes we say that you are between a rock and a hard place. You are in a well-known catch-22. It appears as if no matter what you do, which path you take, which decision you make, you are doomed. It is what we describe in a word as a predicament. And this can be related to your job, to your marriage, to your kids, or something you're dealing with personally, but you are in a tight place, and you see no way out. You are in a real predicament. The best definition of a predicament that I can relate to is this. A predicament occurs when an attorney who specializes in suing doctors for medical malpractice and then finds himself in need of major surgery. That is a predicament. You know, as you go through life, you'll find yourself in situations, sometimes of your own making and sometimes not, where it appears that you are totally without options. And today we're going to look at the greatest catch-22 perhaps anyone has ever faced in history. It is the most involved predicament the nation of Israel would ever see. And yet, they lived to tell the story, and they still tell it to this day. It has become the most celebrated in all of Jewish history. Several movies have been made concerning this particular event. Two words will tell you all you need to know. The Exodus. And we pick up the story in chapter 14, our text, verse 1, which states, Then the Lord said to Moses, verse 2, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Piahiroth, between Magdol and the sea, in front of Balsiphon, and you will encamp there facing it by the sea. The problem was, Baal was a geographical cul-de-sac or a dead-end street. Here is what the Israelites faced. To the north were huge Egyptian fortresses, massive stone structures that could not be attacked. To the south lay nothing but the Egyptian desert with no protection, no water, and no food. To the west was Egypt with the pharaoh and his army. And to the east lay the Red Sea, which today is called the Gulf of Suez. It was the catch-22 of catch-22s. If you go in one direction or any direction, you're going to die. If you stay put, you're going to die. Now, normally I would not spoil the ending by telling you what happens, but you already know it. If you're one of the few that doesn't, well... God parts the Red Sea and the children of Israel pass through it. He then closes the waters back on the Egyptian army. They drown and saves the day. I believe this story happened exactly the way the scripture tells it. And I've heard all of the various theories that try to water this story down. Here's an example. There was one scholar who decided he would enlighten a friend of his who was not well-educated, but he told him this, that the Red Sea at this time of the year was really only six inches deep and was not a sea at all. Expecting a strong counter-argument, the scholar was surprised when his friend said, really? That is one of the greatest things I've ever heard in my life. The scholar said, you mean you like that explanation? The man said, yes, you had better believe it. I never realized the Lord drowned all those armies of Egypt in six inches of water. What a miracle. Now I believe I have saved the best lesson for last. And that is to remember when we are out of options. When we do what is possible, God does what is impossible. See, God never expects us to do what only he can do. But he does expect us to do what we can do. And then he does what only he can do. When you are on a catch-22, here's what you need to do. Three things. First, Consider that you must go where God leads you to go. Keep in mind where the Israelites were in this time of their history. They have been living in Egypt 430 years. All the Israelites that the Lord is about to deliver through Moses haven't been raised in any other situation than that of slavery. They had in their hearts long ago forgotten God. They weren't Israelites yet. They were Egyptians to the core. They ignored God, and now they needed to learn to adore God. We need to go back to see exactly how they got here. Exodus 13, 18 states, But God led the people. God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Again, listen to this phrase. God led the people toward the Red Sea. They had not made a mistake. They had not made a miscalculation or taken a wrong turn. You know, back then, they had GPS. But we called it then God's positioning system. God had purposely led them to this dead end. Why did God do that to them? Why does God do that to us? See, God will lead us to a dead end, so we will be forced to trust him and follow him for a way out. You know, there is one school that God enrolls you in that you never graduate from. And that is called the school of faith. Faith is not a talent that you're born with. Faith is a lesson you learn, and God is the professor. You never quit learning to trust God. Now, the bad news was God led them to the Red Sea. But here is the good news. Our text, Exodus 14, 21, states, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the water was divided. Listen, God never leads us where He doesn't go before us. If you follow God, He goes with you. If you don't follow God, you go by yourself. You're going to see in just a moment that there are times that God will lead you to a place of despair, a place of predicament, and you will stay there until you make it a place of complete. Dependence. Every morning, every day, from the time your feet hit the floor, you should sign a declaration of dependence upon God. You've got to depend upon God, not only to lead you wherever it is he wants you to go, but to make a way out once you get there. You cannot cross the Red Sea until you come to the Red Sea. And you will never experience the greatness of God, the power of God, the love of God, or the glory of God until you allow God to put you in a place where only God can make a way out. He can resolve a catch-22. That is why the greatest way to know God and the only way to experience God is to follow God wherever he leads you. And then secondly, secondly, Consider that you must do what God tells you to do. This is the point in the movie where the music lets you know that climactic scene is about to get placed and the music goes into a crescendo. The Israelites could hear the hoofs of horses thundering down upon them. They could see the spears and the swords gleaming in the sun. They could feel the heat like fire coming out of the eyes of Pharaoh himself. It looks like they are literally in the last moments of their lives with no way out. Now, if you were Moses, how would you respond? We might simply be tempted to yell, run! I would be tempted to ask, does anyone have a white flag? Many of us would just look up to heaven and say, look what a fine mess you've gotten us into this time. But how does Moses respond? Exodus 14, 13 states, And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Can you just hear what his people said to him? Fear not. Is that all you've got? The best you've got is fear not. Remember, the pharaoh and his army is breathing down on them it gets better moses isn't done listen to what else he says it sounds like psychopop still exodus 14:13 moses says be confident don't run be calm stand still stand firm Be confident. But here's the key and the why. Moses then says, and you will see the salvation of the Lord. Why does Moses give them that kind of advice when the heat is on and the end is near? Well, listen, it is in those moments you cannot panic. You, you've got to listen to the voice of God. You've got to, he'll come to you. He will speak to you. He will simply show you what to do. And once you've done all you know to do, then you must simply wait and see what God will do. You know, I'm sure these Israelites were very impatient. They wanted God to hurry up. They wanted God to act on their time. But God doesn't wear a watch because time means nothing to God. Timing. Timing means everything to God. He will never part the red seas of your life until you first of all go where he wants you to go and do what he tells you to do. And then in his time, with perfect timing, he will act. Third, consider that you must believe what God says He will do. Let's set up the final scene of this story. God has set the hook himself. Our text, Exodus 14:4 4, states, "And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and He will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, And they did so. God was not going to make it easy for the Israelites to make their escape. Otherwise, they would think they did it on their own. They would get the glory and God, and pat themselves, and God once again was out in the cold. But remember, God always has a method to his madness. We read in verse 9, The Egyptians pursued them with Pharaoh's horses and chariots, and his horsemen and his army overtook them encamped at the say by Pia Hiroth, Baal, and in front of Balsafen. He has 600 of his selected chariots being ridden by the best officers in the Egyptian army. Also, there were the army rangers, the Delta forces, the Navy SEALs and the special forces. Pharaoh had his best so Israel could experience its worst. He had Israel right where God wanted them. All God says to Moses is, face the Red Sea and forward march. No nation had ever done that before. This is the first time that an entire nation simply marched out under the bondage of another nation without firing a shot without wielding a spear or drawing a sword, and with no experienced leadership. Moses certainly had never led an exodus before. The schools didn't give a degree in exodusology. There was no map and and no three-ring binder photocopied with step-by-step instructions. There was no book entitled Exodus for Dummies. You couldn't go to the internet and look up how to do an exodus. There was nothing to do except simply do what God had told him to do and believe that God would do what he said he would do. And so you probably know the story. Moses lifts the rod over the sea, God parts the Red Sea, and there's a gigantic wall of water on either side. Listen, more than two million Israelites make their way through on dry land and the Egyptian army follows like lambs going to the slaughter. And then God removes his hand and the divine dam breaks. The wall of water covers the Egyptian army and they are drowned. And the Israelites probably broke out into that old song that you've heard before. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was in Egypt, but now I'm found and Pharaoh is in the sea. That is not anywhere near the end of the story because the greatest thing that really happened was not the Red Sea parting or the Red Sea closing. Here is why this story It's one of the greatest stories in the Bible and why it is still celebrated by the Jewish people and why we should celebrate it as followers of Christ. God kept every promise that he made. The Egyptians were wiped out just as God said they would be. God said he would be glorified and that the Egyptians would know that he is the Lord. Go back to verse 25. And listen to what these Egyptians said in their last words just before they died. Verse 25. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. For the first time, these pagan Egyptians had acknowledged the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, and had even called him by his name. More than that. The nation of Israel had come home to their God. Exodus 14, 30 to 31 states, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. In 430 years of forgetting God, they had come back to believing God. What did they learn? And what have we learned? When you are in a catch-22 and you are in a situation that is out of your control, remember, it is firmly in God's control. When there's no other place to look, you can always look up. Not a single Egyptian lived through that ambush and not a single Hebrew even had a scratch. Hebrews walked along the seashore and saw it littered with dead Hebrew bodies, Egyptian bodies. Yet they hadn't killed a single man, fought a single battle or used a single sword. They followed where God led them to go, did what God told them to do and believed what God said he would do. That isn't the end of the story. Now Moses had the task of leading anywhere from two to three million people through a wilderness that would require 15,000 tons, tons of food every day. Enough food that would require two freight trains one mile long to feed them. And 4,000 tons of firewood every day, which would fill a few more freight cars each a mile long. And this would be repeated and needed for 40 years. It would take 11 million gallons of water to drink and bathe every day, which would take a freight car with tank cars 1,800 miles long. And listen... Just to get that many people across the Red Sea, if they marched double file, the line would be 800 miles long and would require 30 days and 30 nights to get through it. To walk through in one night, and they did, they had to walk 5,000 abreast in a 3 mile wide space in that sea, pushing back a three mile gap of water would result in two walls of water of such tremendous heights. You don't doubt the Egyptian army was drowned. And every time they camped, they would need a campground two-thirds of the size of Rhode Island 750 square miles. Do you think Moses had all this figured out before he left? Not at all. What in the world was he doing? He was just going where God led him to go. Doing what God told him to do. And believing what God said he would do. But that still isn't the end of the story. What the exodus is to the Old Testament, the resurrection is to the New Testament. This exodus is the picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We faced a red sea called sin. Behind us was death. Christ held the cross over the red sea of sin and he parted it. As our resurrected Lord, he can lead us through to a promised land where we will live with him forever and forever. Just remember, when you are in that dead end between that rock and that hard place, that catch-22, and you think you're out of options. Remember that with God, there is always an option that works. Amen. Service is over. Go out and continue to worship the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit because we worship the one true God. And you must go where that God leads you. Do what that God tells you to do and believe that God will do as he says. Amen.